Uh, we want to welcome you watching online as well. And thank you, Kyle Hatfield, wherever you are, for teaching for me last week. Great job. Uh, awesome, awesome section in chapter 12. And Last week, if you were not here in chapter 12, we talked about uh, the dragon, uh, right? Now you really want to know what chapter 12 was about. And so uh, we talked about the dragon and, and Satan ultimately being uh, the dragon. And uh, today what we're going to unpack is, um, is a topic that many of you, regardless of your background, your belief system, whether you grew up in the church or not, you've heard uh, the Antichrist, Okay. You, you've heard that, right? In fact, for some of you, you're like, that's why I'm here today, okay? I did the math. I knew you were going to do chapter 13. Um, and so we're going to talk about the Antichrist today, and we're going to talk about uh, the false uh, prophet. Now, one of the things we need to understand and know as we approach the Antichrist is, uh, one, he's also going to be talked about in chapter 17 as well. Uh, so we're going to also unpack um, characteristics and activity uh, in chapter 17 of the Antichrist. But the word Antichrist, it actually doesn't appear at all in the book of Revelation. Um, in the book of Revelation, we actually uh, see him alluded to as the beast. Uh, in fact, in this chapter in particular, the beast, the term is used 16 times, 15 times for uh, the Antichrist. Uh, elsewhere in scripture, we see uh, where he's called the little horn uh, in Daniel chapter 7 verse 8. Uh, he's called the prince or the ruler who is to, to come in Daniel chapter 9 verse 26. Uh, he's alluded to as the lawless one or the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, which we're going to look at uh, shortly. And then also we see the name Antichrist used in 1 John chapter 2, uh, and then in chapter 4, and then in 2 John chapter uh, or verse 7. Now, the word Antichrist, what does that mean? Uh, the word Antichrist means one who is against Christ or one who is in place of Christ, okay? Uh, and, and both are true, okay? So in one sense, when we talk about the Antichrist, he's at war against Christ, uh, against Christ's agenda, against who Christ is, against you following Christ. And at the same time, he's also trying to replace Christ, okay? So he's trying to be a counterfeit, uh, of the true uh, Christ. Uh, this also, uh, what we also need to understand is that the concept of Antichrist, it's multifaceted throughout Scripture. In fact, it's used uh, in at least four different ways uh, in our Bibles. Um, in, in the chapter we're going to look at today and in chapter 17, uh, it's alluded to as an evil empire or political power. Um, it's it's uh, alluded to as a past and present impersonal force or presence or, or spirit. Um, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, which I'll have him put up on the screen, it says, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Uh, it's also alluded to as literal people who are forerunners for the final Antichrist. Uh, we see in 1 John chapter 2, 18, it says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. 
Then we see it also being alluded to as that, that final force of satanic power and opposition to God in a person. And in 2 Thessalonians, we read about these defining characteristics. And so in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, this is what we read. And it's important to remember some of these descriptions because you're going to see how this beast, the Antichrist, uh, aligns with this. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming." Okay, so we see him as this final uh, force of opposition. We also are looking at that in uh, today's section in Revelation chapter 13. But what we also see is this, this overlap uh, where the beast at times seems to be both a political empire and at the same time a person. Um, and this is something that it wasn't unusual then, and it's not unusual now. In fact, uh, back in those days when this was written, you got to remember Rome is the world power. And when people thought of Rome, uh, whose image was on the coin? Caesar, right? So when, when you said Rome, you were thinking Nero. When you said Rome, you were thinking after him, Domitian. Uh, and, and, and it continues, right, throughout history. When we think of evil Nazi Germany, who do we think of? Hitler, right? And so, and so that's, that's a very common way uh, of thinking. And so we see uh, this, this overlapping of, is it this person? Is it a political party? Is it, is it a movement? You know, and so there's different schools of thought in that. But what we see is an overlap. Uh, so let's, let's get started here. Uh, in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, it says this. And I saw, and remember, this is John. John is saying, I saw, I'm seeing this vision, and he's bringing, into the, bringing uh, us into this vision, and he's going to use language that he's familiar with and the readers are familiar with, which is the Old Testament, okay? And so in Revelation chapter 13, he says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it. Okay, so uh, Satan is, it, it, we looked at this in chapter 12, Satan as the dragon, at the end of chapter 12, he stands on the sand of the sea, and as Satan is standing on the sand of the sea, we see that John now sees this beast 
coming out of the sea. This beast is described as having 10 horns uh, and seven heads, and on his horns were 10 diadems or, or crowns, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Okay, now, once again, it's tough to describe, it's tough to see, uh, it's tough to imagine for us. But uh, when we look at uh, what he's describing, these 10 horns, they speak of, of great power. Uh, these, these seven heads, they, they could be drawing from uh, the, the seven-headed monster mythology uh, that was taught in Eastern texts. Uh, but, but it also speaks to uh, the great power uh, that this beast had. In fact, the ten diadems, they convey great authority and political influence. That's why they were crowns. Uh, in chapter 17, as it's talking about the beast, it, it speaks of the seven heads as both seven mountains of hills and also as seven kings of kingdoms. And here, the ten horns, they are a future uh, political alliance with the beast who was going to enjoy a short reign. And we also see this same imagery, once again, alluded to in chapter 12, when the dragon is described as well. And so we see the beast has the very nature and characteristics of Satan himself. And we see these blasphemous names on these heads, which speaks to what? His character, his agenda, doesn't it? But then we get to verse two and, 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 he, and he starts describing uh, what this beast was like. And he's using the, these, these images, right? These animals, a leopard, a, a, a bear, uh, and, and all this. And we go, man, what, what is he drawing from here? And you guys, he's drawing specifically from Daniel 7. This is Daniel 7. In fact, in Daniel 7, verses 3 through 8, this is what it says, and they'll have it on the screen. It says, And four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up uh, among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. And at that point, when you're doing the read through the Bible in a year, you usually give up. You're like, what? No, no. <laughs> I'm done. I'm tapping, right? White flag. Like, <laughs> I'll just go to church, God, okay? Like, it gets very overwhelming, doesn't it? But what we see here is, once again, is John is drawing back, and, he, and what he's speaking to, he's describing what he sees in reverse order. Why? Because Daniel is what? Daniel's looking ahead. John is looking back. 
And so he's describing the fulfillment of these beasts in this specific beast, and, and he's got all of these characteristics, and we know that, that what Daniel was talking about is, is these terrifying elements of these three great empires in the ancient world. And, and, and so this beast that's being described here is this political entity uh, and person, and it's empowered, it says, by the dragon, so he is empowered by Satan, and Satan's going to do two, three, uh, three things. Uh, Satan is going to uh, give him his power, he's going to give him his throne, and he's going to give this beast his great authority. And, and, and we see in verse 3 how it tells us that one of the heads of the beast appeared to be fatally wounded, but his fatal wound was healed, leading to the whole world being amazed and following the beast. Now, the word for, for wounded, it's actually the same word in Greek translated as slaughtered in chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, or 6 and 9, when it's talking about the death of the lamb. Uh, in chapter 13, uh, verse 14, uh, it's going to add that the beast had a sword wound and yet lived. And, and so the word lived is actually the very term used for Jesus's resurrection in chapter 2, verse 8. So what is he describing here? What is he seeing? You guys, the Antichrist is going to do a counterfeit death and resurrection. He's literally going to counterfeit the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, now some believe this is uh, the resurrection of a political entity or others, uh, this personal antichrist or, or a combination of both, but, but people are going to be amazed at this apparent resurrection of the beast, and it says that the whole earth is going to begin to submit to his authority, and they're going to worship the dragon. So they're going to worship Satan, and they're going to worship the beast, and they're going to declare who is like the beast. Who is like the beast? Now, you've heard the, the, these words used before, right? What he's doing here is mocking the worship that we see of God in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus and in Psalms, we see over and over again it's saying, who is like our God? Who is like our God? Who is like Yahweh? And so the beast is, is, is now, um, what, what is he doing? He's making a mockery of the worship of God. See, one of the things that's really clear from this is, is you know, we talk about how Satan wants to, to steal and kill and destroy uh, our lives and, 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 and all of that. But at the end of the day, Satan desires to be worshipped. Satan wants to be worshipped. He wants to be worshipped and he wants to be treated just like God. The second interesting aspect of the response of the people to the beast is, is their sense of just inevitability. Do you, do you see that? What, what, what did they say there? They said, who can fight against it? Who can fight against it? It's like they asked, there's no use in, in, in putting up a fight against the beast. There's just no use. You guys, this is exactly what the beast wants us to think today. It's the same thing. See, whenever we're battling uh, sin, and we all battle sin, amen? Like, like if you think you walked in this room first time, like, oh, they think they're all that. No, we don't. We are 
full of messes and challenges and struggles and, and, and this continual battle against sin. And whenever we're battling sin, whether it's something new in our lives, whether it's something that has been there for so long and we're just continuing to battle it, you guys, the enemy, the, the beast, the spirit of this Antichrist, he is whispering in our ears, resistance is useless. Resistance is useless. And he's gonna say words to you. He's gonna affirm this message. And what are these words gonna be like? This is just who you are, right? This is just who you are. You just, you just be you. This is who you are. They don't know. This is who you are. He's gonna say, uh, he's gonna say uh, you're made this way. You're just made this way, okay? Like, uh, yeah, that issue and that, uh, man, that's your, that's your parents' problem. And you just, uh, you just got it. But it's just a part of who you are. You're made like this. Uh, another popular one is you can't help it. You just can't help it. You've tried. You can't help it. And then lastly, and this is a really good one. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal, right? I mean, look at so-and-so. They're a wreck. Look at their issue or their struggle. Your struggle's not that bad. This isn't that big of a deal. In fact, society's okay with it. Everybody's okay with it. In fact, you're celebrated. Like, it's no big deal. And guys, one of the very natures and characteristics of sin is this. Sin will always make you the point. It always will. See, things that are of God always make God the point. They always point back to him. They always point to our need to surrender to him. The things of sin are always gonna make you the point. And so when I, I, I see, and man, I experience it daily, that battle of sin, it's a struggle of, am I gonna have it my way, what I wanna do, what, what, what I think is okay, or am I gonna actually submit and to surrender? to what God says. And so when we're confronted with that thought of resistance is useless, who can stand against him? When, and, and, and who can, uh, you know, I can't kick this, I can't beat this, or, or this is just how I am. And when I'm confronted with that voice, which you will have, you need to choose to listen to a different voice. The voice of, of God, which is scripture. And in James chapter four, seven and eight, it's very clear. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, so we have to choose to listen to a different voice and the different voice is gonna say, listen, you need to submit yourself to God first and foremost. You need to declare it's gonna be your way, not mine. And so I submit myself to you. I'm gonna be obedient to you um, and, and, and I'm gonna obey what you ask me to do and then I'm gonna choose to say no. I'm gonna choose to say no. I'm gonna choose not to entertain that thought anymore. I'm gonna choose not to just fall into it. I'm not, I'm not gonna just agree with it because it's my struggle and I don't see an end to it. I am going to listen to that voice. I'm gonna to cling to the promises of God, which are what? Satan's gonna run. He's gonna, like God's gonna win. You cannot read the book of Revelation and go, oh, we're gonna lose. <laughs> like, no, we win, <laughs> right? This, you know, we wouldn't do the study if we lost. Like, we'd stay away from it, Right? Like, we, we know, right? This is the revelation of Jesus Christ to us. And, and, and so we have a choice. And so Satan, uh, throughout this, what we see is he is the great counterfeiter. 
He is an imposter. And at the core nature, as, as he's trying to counterfeit the very works, the very ways of God, he is that, you know, and, and I think of, um, I think I've used this analogy before, uh, but, but I, I remember when, uh, when I was growing up, starter jackets, they were called starter jackets, they were like the thing. And you had to have a starter jacket uh, in order to be accepted, at least when, where I was at growing up. And so I remember asking, mom, dad, I need a starter jacket, please. You don't understand. You don't understand what I'm going through at school. I need a starter jacket. And, and I remember everything, you know, was, and I'm sure it still is, but, but what, it was about fitting in. And there was always individuals who were trying to fit into a group that they had no business fitting into. And they were called what? They were called a wannabe. You guys, you need to know that Satan is the best wannabe ever. Like his, he, is, he is a wannabe God. He is absolutely at work. And what is he doing? He is, he's, he's one, he's never gonna be God, but he always wants to be. But So what is he gonna do? He's gonna try and counterfeit everything that God does. He's gonna counterfeit the resurrection. And, and we already see that. He's gonna counterfeit what? The worship of God. And so throughout scripture, we see him counterfeiting. We see him deceiving people. Uh, in fact, he's described as an angel of light. He can, he can literally uh, make himself appear as this angel of light, which is something that we need to be very aware of. Uh, and then we keep going. Uh, in verse five, and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise his authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Okay, so the beast is, is given this mouth we see by the dragon to speak, and he's going to boast, he's going to uh, blaspheme uh, against God, and so he's going to utter all these proud words. Uh, he's going to be full of arrogance. Uh, we, we see a lot of this out of Daniel chapter 7 in verses 21 through 25, uh, which I don't have time to read to you guys, but you should check that out. It talks about how he boasts, how he speaks, uh, and how he's given authority over people, um, but, but he is going to um, not only speak against people uh, for a defined amount of time, because once again, we see God's sovereign hand, right? He's given this, it says 42 months or three and a half years uh, is, is how it's uh, spoken of the time that he has. But he's gonna, he's gonna speak and then also he's gonna act out against God and God's people, He's going to be permitted to wage war against the saints and, and to conquer them. He's, he's going to persecute God's people, and, and many will die as they faithfully stand for Christ. He will also be given authority over everyone, and all unbelieving humanity will worship him. When it talks about unbelieving humanity, it, it, it uses the phrase earth dwellers or those who dwell on the earth, and that's talking about people who willfully uh, 
are not going to believe in Jesus. And, and, and so those are the people whose names aren't written in the book of life. What does this also tell us, though? The ones who are written in the book of life, those who are the redeemed, the saved, they have security in their salvation. But, but verse 9, uh, as we look at that, it says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Now, what it's saying there is it's almost like this pause. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And this is an invitation for us to pay attention and to be spiritually discerning. Okay, he, he essentially, listen to what I'm saying. You need to know that these are the de- defining character qualities of the enemy's work. This is how he's going to move. This is how he's going to act. And it's not just for some future time. These are the things that are happening even right now. And what's so um, almost scary for some of us is the reality uh, that he is a counterfeit. He's a manipulator. He's a deceiver. And so we have to not only be aware, but we have to be spiritually discerning because the things that we would just on the surface go, oh, that's God, or, or God's working there, it could actually be him doing it. So we have to discern. And then verse 10 is, is difficult. It's a combination of Jeremiah 15.2 and Jeremiah 43.11. And, and back in Jeremiah, he was talking about uh, the, the people of Israel going into captivity and they were going to suffer uh, by the sword. And, and essentially what it's telling us here is that you and I can expect to be essentially captured and our earthly destiny may even be being put to death. And I know for some of us right now, you listen to this and you go, out of sight, out of mind. But Ian, one of our pastors just shared about, you know, what we're doing over in Burkina Faso. And, and man, they read that. Are you kidding? That is real. That is today. That is the unknown of doing a church service today in different parts of the world. This is a reality. But I love the end. It says, here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Either way, whatever happens, he's saying, endure and remain faithful. Endure and remain faithful. You guys, there is no just like neutral ground with this, is there? There's either you're with him or you're against him. And then in verse 11, John, once again, he sees something else. He says, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs and even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Okay, so John, once again, uh, he's saying, oh my goodness, now I'm seeing another beast coming up out of the earth this time. And, and what's really interesting about this beast or uh, this false prophet is he has two horns, it says, like a lamb. He has the appearance of a lamb. Once again, we see the enemy at work imitating or creating a counterfeit, don't we? He is attempting to appear as the resurrected 
Messiah, the Lamb of God, isn't he? And so we see there's deceptiveness in this person. And what you and I need to hear is, listen, looks can be very deceiving. They can be very deceiving. And it says, with the appearance of a lamb, uh, we're, we're given this impression that, 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 that essentially, oh, harmless or good or of God, right? But then Jesus warned us in Matthew 7, 15, he warned us, right? He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, okay? And this ravenous wolf is later called the false prophet. And, and, and it says he sounded like a dragon. Now, Sometimes when we read something like that, we go, oh my goodness, like he's going to come on the scene and he's just going to announce himself like a dragon. You guys, Satan never announces himself, does he? Right? If he did, we'd all be good. Right? <laughs> Decisions would be easy. Thank you for telling me you're involved in that. I'm not going to do that now. Right? But he doesn't do that, does he? He operates differently, deceptiveness, counterfeiting, right? All of these ways, that's the voice of the enemy. It's so weird to me how we continue to think that he's just gonna announce himself to us and then we're gonna know that that's wrong. Like, no, if you're waiting for that moment, it will not come, okay? He speaks to us in deceptive ways. He brought sin into the picture by how? Deceiving um, Adam and Eve. Okay, he didn't announce himself to them. He deceived them. And so you guys, when we think of what, what he's uh, gonna do and, and how he's at work, um, you guys, he is going to be deceptive in how he speaks, okay? So, so when it says he sounded like a dragon, uh, he's gonna speak in the same ways that Satan speaks. One commentator said, watch out for lambs who talk like dragons. And two affirmations are made about this false prophet. The first is he exercises all of his authority on behalf of this first beast. The second is he is compelling the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast. So, so he's empowered by Satan and given this authority to be the beast's witness and the advocate, the spokesperson for him, the promoter of the idolatry of worshiping that first beast. And, and so he is going to be leading the charge and getting people to worship the Antichrist who has uh, imitated the death and resurrection of Christ. And, 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 and we see that he is going to perform all kinds of great signs. And this, this same phrase is used for the miracles of Jesus in the book of John. Uh, not everything, you guys, that appears to be a miracle is a miracle. And not everything that is a miracle is from God. One specific sign we see that it performs is causing fire to come down from heaven in front of people. Now, what is he doing here? He is duplicating Elijah, right? He's duplicating the miracle. Satan is not original, right? Everything he does is to try and counterfeit what God did. So, so here we are, he's counterfeiting, he's trying to uh, do a miracle, but, but once again, the people are, we read, amazed 
They're, they're amazed at, at, at the power, at the miracle, and, and, and they're deceived uh, as a result of that. And so as they're deceived, as they're caught up in this miracle and these signs that this guy is doing, uh, he says, now, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to make an image an image to the beast. Like, we're going to celebrate the beast. We're going to make this incredible image. Uh, and, and, and everybody's going to be so caught up in it, they're going to be like, yeah, that's a great idea. Okay? And, and, and so now, as we get into what this image actually is, good luck. It's going to get weird here. But we're going to read anyway. But what he's trying to get them to do is make an idol or image to the beast in order for them to worship the beast. And this is what it says in verse 15. It says, and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. I repeat, this calls for wisdom. Underline, double tap, highlight. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. You're like, yeah, that, there we go. Now I'm ready. Okay, so this false prophet, we see, and, and, and we, man, we don't fully know what is going on. We don't know how literal this imagery is. We don't know the spiritual component uh, fully of what is being conveyed here. But what we see uh, John giving us this picture of is this false prophet prophet breathes life into this image, this image of what? Of idolatry, right? Uh, this image that is built to, to be uh, worshipped uh, so that the beast is worshipped. And, and so he breathes life. It, the image is even said to speak. And, and, and there's a lot of opinions. Some believe this is trickery. Uh, others, this is through the power of, of Satan, that this actual physical statue will come to life and speak. Um, and then in speaking, uh, what we need to see, though, is, is it, when he's talking about giving breath to the image, John's implying that the activity of the false prophet is giving idolatrous worship the appearance of vitality, of, of, of a reality, and, 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 and the power of it, okay? So here's what I really want to be very careful with. In light of the intense imagery, we don't want to miss the point of the imagery, The spirit of the false prophet is to push and to promote idolatry that looks, seems, and feels real. And I'll actually add to that rewarding. So, so, so the point of this imagery here is that this false prophet is going to promote a kind of idolatry that is going to feel real. It's going to look real. It's going to feel right. You're going to be rewarded for it. Everybody's going to be doing it. Uh, you're going to be affirmed for it, right? Like all of these things are going to happen. And you guys, just like today, when you think of the things competing for our heart and our mind, right? The, the idolatry that's in front of us, um, the enemy's goal is for you uh, to fall into that and to 
think this is great, I'm being affirmed for this, and I'm actually getting tangible rewards uh, for being all about this, right? And so how does this play out? Well, for us in our culture, right, uh, we think of the things that we're all about, the things that can consume us, right? I mean, money's an easy one, right? And, and, and listen, if you make a bunch of money, a lot of people are going to acknowledge you, people are going to want to be like you, people are going to applaud you, and all of that, and, and, and so, and so that's, that's an easy one, right? Um, and, and, and the enemy, his goal here, what we see, his manipulation, his deception is to be like, isn't that great? Isn't that great? That's real. That's, that's life. That's so fulfilling. When you think about uh, your family, right? Like, like some of us, I, everything's about our kids, right? I love my kids. They're so cute. But when I think about my kids, uh, they can quickly, very quickly go whoop with God and all of a sudden they're there and then all of a sudden everything in my life is about them and, and, and all of that and, 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 the, and all this. And guess what? Other parents will applaud you if you're a great parent. If your kids seem to be doing great, other parents are going to applaud you. People are going to go, oh, so awesome, all that. And if you're a social media person, they're going to be like, oh, my goodness, all these people you don't even know are like applauding you, wanting to be like you, and, and, and all of that. And if your kid is successful at something, oh, my goodness, people are going to be like, how'd you do it? What did you do? Thank you. Right? Because, oh, my goodness, it's sick. All right? And, and so that's another one. For some of us, it's love, right? Everything is about finding love. Everything. And so what is the enemy going to do? He's going to try and put that and make it so real. And the taste of any kind of love, he's going to try and distort it. He's going to try and make it fulfilling just enough so it feels like the fulfillment of the true and real worship of God. And God is like, don't fall for that. It is like an image that isn't even real, that appears to be real. It's not even real. It's empty. When you read that and you see him worshiping, you're like, that's not even real. What is going on? And we do it every day. Every day. We give our allegiance to false gods. And we see that, that, that literally there's going to be this vicious campaign that happens where, where he's going to demand worship under the penalty of death. And so they're to worship this, this image. And it's just, man, it reminds us of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3. And so the temptation to compromise is going to be so strong and so alive for anybody trying to follow Jesus during uh, this time. And, and, and determined to enforce the worship of the Antichrist, this false prophet is going going to engage in this global plan to bring everyone into submission. And, and we read, every, every uh, person, all of humanity is going to receive some type of mark or some form of identification on their right hand, it says, or their forehead. And without it, they will not be able to buy or sell. Okay, now, as much as I'd like to tell you, I know exactly what that mark is. People have been doing that, writing books and making a lot of money off of that for years, okay? Um, we don't know. We don't know. Okay, now, we don't, we don't know. We don't know if, it, it, one thing is for sure is Satan is once again counterfeiting what God does, right? Because we see in Revelation that God marks his. He's like, you're mine. I have sealed you. You have uh, my, you have a new name. Uh, you are, right? He, we see that. And so Satan, either way, how literal or uh, spiritual you take this, you need to know that Satan is trying to counterfeit what God is doing with his people. 
right? So he's counterfeiting, he's marking them out. Here's the other thing you need to see, is as they're listening to this, remember, there's churches already that John is writing this to who are experiencing this, right? The the trade guilds in those days, you had to go in and worship with them. That was part of your occupation. And if you chose not to, you're an outcast, right? You're kicked out. You're excluded. So this was already happening. You guys, this was happening in communities all all throughout. And you guys, this is something that's happening today. People are already being ostracized for their faith, excluded from. They're paying the penalty financially in business for uh, sacrificing their morality for something else. We're already seeing that, right? Um, This is not like a new concept. And and, and so it's going to affect people's ability to have an income, to buy or to sell. And, and I think for us, what we need to know as, as, as like, this is what we see already happening. This is what's to come that Satan's best is still counterfeit. It's still counterfeit. And in verse 18, we get to the section where we're like, what is this? It says, this calls for wisdom with the one who has understanding. Calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, in the ancient world, the letters of the alphabet were used for numbers both in Hebrew and in Greek. Okay, so Bible students have been attempting for years to unravel the mystery of this name and number. Okay, I mean, like for years, people, people have been, I figured it out. Honey, I figured it out. Get in here. This is who it is. And they're, they're on TV right now. Oh my goodness, honey, so-and-so just tweeted this. It's them. No, 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 it's them. I know it. Or like, I heard about this new chip. Honey, that's the chip. That, we're here. It's the mark, okay? Guys, one of the things that you need to know, first of all, is, is the mark of the beast. One is you're going to know, like you're going to know what you're doing. Like no one's going to accidentally do that to you. Okay. By the authority of scripture, uh, what you need to know is that, that for me to, to whatever that is to, to go against that, I'm going to know that the mark of the beast is a call to compromise what God has called me to do. So it's going to be clear. Okay, um, and, and, and when we talk about these numbers, guys, we can wrestle all day about what these numbers are and how they point to all these significant figures or new figures in our lives or people we think is gonna be that, right? Um, but at the end of the day, I love what one commentator wrote, and this is what he wrote. He said, I think the number is more of a description than an identification. Six is the number of man. He was created on the sixth day. He is to work six days. In contrast, the number of perfection is seven. And the superlative of seven is 777. The beast is the greatest man, but still a man. He is a six, not a seven. He, along with Satan and the false prophet, is a 666, a trinity of imperfection. Nor ever will they be a 777. He is the best man can produce, but he is still just a man. He is the completeness of sinful incompleteness, the ultimate in coming up short. He is good enough to deceive many, but he is nowhere close to good enough to replace Jesus. That's like, nailed it. Now, we don't fully know, but man, I I really 
enjoy that perspective and agree with it. And the question that we have to ask is right now, what is he using in your life to replace Jesus? See, we, we're, man, we place our hope and our faith and our trust in so many things, right? <sighs> Governments, family, love, money, religion. And yet the Bible teaches us that none of these things are the answers. The Bible tells us to place our faith, our hope, and our confidence in Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But here's the challenge, you guys. This is what we see over and over again. Most of the world, the majority of people, would rather believe a lie than a truth. They would rather follow an antichrist than Jesus Christ. They would rather listen to a false prophet than a true prophet of God. And, and this is what's stacked against us. And you guys, it's not by just some random act or anything like that. There is an enemy who is acting strategically to counterfeit the very ways and the nature of God to confuse you and I and to distort God's plan for you and for me. I mean, to the point of counterfeiting, do you see this? He's counterfeiting the Trinity here. Like he's counterfeiting the very Trinity. Satan counterfeiting God, the Father, the Antichrist, counterfeiting Jesus, the, the false prophet, counterfeiting the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so we're, we're stuck with this. Man, we gotta navigate this. We gotta be spiritually uh, discerning. And what I wanna challenge you with is this, is don't focus on what is the mark of the beast. Don't focus on, oh, well, who is the Antichrist? Where are they? Or oh, it's gotta be them. Focus on the seal of the Savior. Okay, because here, the speculation as to who the Antichrist, who the false prophet, that's not the point here. The point that's being told to you and for me is, is Jesus is once again revealing to us, he's saying, I am giving you the enemy's playbook. This is how he's gonna work. This is what he's gonna do. This is how it's gonna play out. And so we should know, we should be spiritually discerning. We should hold every thought captive against God's word. And, 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 and just know that the enemy is gonna try to counterfeit God's word, counterfeit God's ways, even counterfeit the miracles of God. And I would just say, we're told this so that we will not be deceived. And most importantly, I'll say this, and this is what kept coming up to me when I was just praying over this passage. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. Don't compromise the real gospel for a false gospel. Don't compromise your walk for something that everybody's going to say is normal, okay, and, and even when you're going to be shamed, accused of different things for just walking for Jesus, don't compromise, okay? Seek the real deal, not the imitation. Do not settle, you guys. Don't settle. And, and cling to these words in Revelation 12. It's so funny. Uh, I, was, I was sent, like, what marks a great sermon? One of the marks of a great sermon is that it's around 35 minutes. Well, I blew that out of the water. So <laughs> anyway, but Revelation 12, and this is why I was hesitant to give last week's um, chapter away because I love this verse. And this is for us in Revelation 12, 11. It says, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. I love that. 
they have conquered him, right? They have conquered the enemy. By what? By the blood of lamb, by the gospel. They've conquered him by the power of the gospel. But what's the blood of the lamb? That's what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. When Jesus went to the cross for all of your sins, for all your past, present, and your future sins, Jesus went to the cross, paid the ultimate penalty, and it says he removed your and my sin as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he removed it. And then that wasn't enough. Like, like, no, then he resurrected from the dead, right? Victory over sin and death, right? And, and in that victory, he gave us the opportunity to be reconciled with a perfect and holy God so that we could have a relationship with a perfect and holy God so that now we can approach the throne of grace, it says, the throne of God with confidence because our relationship is solid and it's established. And so he says, we're going to overcome by the blood of the lamb and then the word of our testimony. What's the word of our testimony? We have the same word martyr out of that. And what is that? That is us staying the course and not compromising. It's not bending. It's, it's staying faithful to that calling to what God's asked and called you to do, how he's called you to live. And so we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, right? The, the, the faithfulness there that is called and asked of us as we follow Christ. And you guys, he is so worth it, amen? There is victory, don't miss it.